Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we're continuing the series on work and rest. And I want to review briefly that we started with the mandate to work. And what we see in the scripture is that God put Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. And thus reflect God in his work of creation and his work of providence. And of course, Adam falls into sin and that changes things. We still, work is still good. It's still an, an image-bearing opportunity, but it now has thorns and thistles. It's fraught with, with toil and frustrations, and you know well what that means. Uh, but it is still an activity where we are to render worship to God and also to serve our fellow man for the common good. And we said that the word vocation means calling. And that your vocation is a way uh, that you worship God, which means it's no less than than my vocation, which is being a pastor. There's no sacred-secular divide. And then we had a sermon on the mandate to rest. That just as you reflect God in working, you reflect Him in resting. That after He created, He paused. He stopped working and he, he, He looked at what He had done and He celebrated And so we are to pause. We are to cease from work that we might celebrate and worship God. And then we talked that it's not just stopping work. It's also resting in Jesus Christ in the gospel, which means that you cease from striving. That you can't uh, see yourself approved by your your working or, or overworking. But that you need to rest in the gospel and worship the Lord. And we talked about having a liturgy. A, a daily liturgy where you're spending time in the, in the Word and in prayer and having breaks during busy work hours. And that there's also a weekly liturgy and that can extend into seasons and years and even at some point in your lifetime, like the, like the year of Jubilee in the Scripture. Uh, and then we had another sermon on how to work. That work is not a means for you to acquire and to gain by taking or exploiting. But you are not to be a, a consumer but a producer. That you are to help society. And then as you grow in wealth, you are to be generous and increasingly so. That you would give to others. And that means that the type of work that you participate in has some questions you need to ask. Is it it God-honoring? Is it something that that benefits society? Does it fit with, with who I am and what I'm capable of? And does it provide sufficiently for me? And from there, I went into three sermons on the disciplines associated with entering God's rest, 
Um, there are others, and there will be more coming, but we talked about the practice of praise, about being honest and exposing of what's really inside and preaching the gospel to yourself. And then lastly, we talked about the meditating on the word of God and, and recalibrating your thinking uh, and to the truth and, and exercising your muscles of faith that you would have rest in the gospel. And so today we are back on the topic of work. And I want to talk about work in all the different spheres of life, but namely in church life. Uh, so that's what we're going to do today. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we ask by your spirit that you will open our eyes and our hearts and our minds and help us to understand it and apply it and believe it. We pray that you would strengthen us and change us and use this time for your glory and that you will keep me from, uh, from foolishness, but only speak what is according to your word and spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read you something. I didn't write it. I don't know who wrote it. Um, uh, and it, it's, it's heavy hitting, so I'll be warned. Uh, cancer is one of the debilitating diseases of our day. You know what cancer is? Cells that don't want to go with the program. They are deviant cells that have their own agenda. Now this would be just fine if they would leave your body. The problem with cancer is that these deviant cells want to hang out in your body. They don't want to go anywhere. They just want to be independent. Cancer cells still want blood. They still want to eat. They still want oxygen because they want to grow. Not only do they want to grow, they also want to spread and metastasize. So in other words, they want to siphon off the body, but they don't want to contribute to it. Ultimately, unless addressed radically, the whole body is in trouble because what they want are the benefits. Cancer exists in the church today, too. There are cells of people that want the benefits of being in the body without the contributions. They want the sermons. They want the songs. They want the ministry to them. They want the programs for their kids and food in the pantry. They want the counseling for their problems. They want all the things that the body is designed to give but they don't want to be part of the body. They just want to hang out in it. I told you it was heavy hitting, right? But let me, let me say it in a different way, maybe a kinder way. We all have various spheres of our life. Defining responsibilities. And they're competing for our time. And sometimes work wins out. Sometimes family wins out. But we have to balance our life. And in these various arenas, these multiple commitments, I would say that, that in this audience, there are four general ones that will catch most of you. And that would be uh, your vocation, your family, your community, and your church. Now, I know some of you may have uh, fewer or, or others uh, that are biding for your time. And it, the, the question is, how do we manage these things? We're always trying to think, what's most important for me to do? I have to, uh, I have to share myself. My kids have to, to share me with church and with community and, and job. And, you know, you can't do everything. So how do you manage this? And the problem, of course, is that oftentimes we do one, we focus in on one, maybe because we want to feel successful at something, you know, because we, we really want to feel good about ourselves deep down inside. Uh, and we neglect others. And when you do that, when your life gets out of balance, there are serious consequences. Uh, for example, you know people who have spent all of their time working at their job, 
they have spent very little time working on their marriage. Or they have missed really important formative parts of their child's upbringing. There are others who do nothing in community. And there are others that are like the cancer described in this uh, illustration. You know, you've heard this so many times that people on their deathbed say, uh, I, I, I never wished for more time in the office. I wish I spent more time with the people that I love, right? Well, let me say, when you get to heaven, that's what you'll say on your deathbed, right? I shouldn't have spent so much time in the office, but more with my family. When you get to heaven, you're going to say, I wish I spent more time with the people of God and extending the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So we have these various, uh, these realms of, of, you know, these spheres of influence, these arenas in our life. And God expects us to work diligently in all of them. And maybe you've added some that need to be taken away. Or maybe you've allowed some to become so powerful and preeminent that it's become idolatry. And you need to, you need to move back into a balance. So th- these are difficult things. I mean, we can't neglect our job either. Um, and our job is, is the primary way that we're going to be uh, worshiping God, meaning the most, of our, most of our time is going to be spent in that vocation. But we have other responsibilities. So if we take the theology of work, we can apply it into those other arenas. Um, take, for example, raising children. That is work. Um, building community. That is work. You are... You are either in school, or you have recently been in school, or you have a kid in school, or you have a grandkid in school. Um, maybe a few of you have nothing to do with school, for now. But school is a community. There are teachers. You need to know what's going on. There might be a PTA. Um, maybe your kids are in sports. Maybe you're playing sports. Maybe you're in a gym. You, you, you shop somewhere. You bank somewhere. You are in community. And that community has ramifications for your life, and you as a responsible citizen have a responsibility to be a part of that community. Also with the church. Community seems to be increasingly grossly ignored, and so is church. Maybe it's because, you know, our jobs give us money. Maybe because our hearts are with our families, they become preeminent, and we start to ignore these other responsibilities. But simply take passages of Scripture that are directed at work and apply them to work in these other areas of life. For example, Proverbs 12, 24. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Now think about that in terms of your marriage. If you work on your marriage, there will be benefit. If you ignore it, there may come a time when your spouse is telling you how it's going to be. Or maybe a judge in court will be telling you how it's going to be. And you will feel you are in forced labor. Uh, Proverbs 14.23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Think about that in terms of church life. Lots of times there are ideas that are thrown out and discussed and kicked around. You know, we ought to do this, or maybe we could do this kind of ministry. And it seems like there's a lot of talk in churches, and maybe not a lot of action. Well, this is, a, this is a, an area where God wants us to work diligently. Uh, Proverbs 13.22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Well, think about that not just in monetary that you've you've, you've acquired and you've given, uh, but think of uh, leaving a spiritual legacy through the generations. 
Or consider what kind of community you're going to leave to later generations. So we have these various arenas, and I want to, uh, we, if I had more Sundays, I could spend a whole sermon talking about working on your marriage or family, or working in community, and those are worthy endeavors. But today I want to focus more on your, your giftedness to work for the body of Christ, and that is often neglected. So look at the passage, look at Ephesians 4, and look at 11 and 12. God has given offices, the Old Testament office of prophet, and the New Testament office of apostle, which I do not believe exist anymore, those offices. The giftedness can, can, can continue. But we have now the offices of, of ruling elder and teaching elder and deacon. We have, we have people in place that are there to help equip you, the saints, in the work of ministry. Right there in verse 12. They are to equip you, the saints, that you would build up the body of Christ, that you would speak the truth in love, that you would be protecting your own body from the onslaught of error and immaturity, that you would so care for one another and your, the members of your body that you would support and encourage and tend to all aspects. When I was a younger man, I was in a church that had uh, uh, an older woman who began to talk theology that I found uh, spiritually weird. It was just out there. And she was talking about this pretty regularly, and I didn't know what to say or do, and I didn't know how to handle it. And I was, she was much older, and I was a younger man at the time. And, and I remember pondering what I should do. And then at some point, an, uh, an older man, more her peer, said, rather frankly, he said, I don't think that's right. And she said, oh, and they began a conversation. And I didn't listen to the conversation. I didn't want to add any pressure or embarrassment in it. But I, uh, they, they talked for a while, and that, that line of, of doctrine stopped. And this guy, was he a pastor? No. An elder? Nope. Seminary professor? Nope. He was just a businessman in the church. But he was caring for the members of his body. And you say, well, I thought the elder's job was to correct and reprove. Well, yes, institutionally, but you organically and relationally, as the body of Christ, have the same responsibility. That's why it says that we're trying to build people up into unity. The unity of faith. That we would be in the fullness of Jesus Christ. The unity of knowledge. That we would grow in the wisdom of God. And that we would be protecting each other from error and folly and immaturity as we speak the truth in love. Our goal is to see Christ born in each other, to see us grow up into the picture of Jesus, who is the imprint of the Almighty God. So, God wants you to work diligently at church, at church life, at community here. He has therefore given you a spiritual gift. In the immediate context of this passage, it is talking about gifts. In verse 7, it's talking about how God's grace has been apportioned to people through Christ's gift. In verse 8, it talks about Jesus Christ ascending and giving gifts to men. So God wants these, uh, the gifts of the prophet and the, and the teacher to equip you to use your gifts. 
And every Christian has at least one gift, if not more. 1 Timothy 4 says, Do not neglect the gift you've been given. 1 Peter 4 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And we just read the Corinthians passage earlier. It says that everyone has something to bring to the body. And no part of the body can say to another part, I have no need of you. We need everyone's uh, wisdom, everyone's giftedness, everyone's talent to be brought to the table. That together we can be the body of Jesus Christ who is our head. Barna says that 69% of Christians do not know their spiritual gift. That only 1% say they have the gift of leadership or evangelism. And the highest level was 5% said they had the gift of teaching. That's you know, when he polls all these, these Christians, I'm sure they're the pastors, right? And a few elders maybe, a few folks who say they have the gift of teaching. 5% though. Everything else was below that. And 69% say, I don't know. This is a problem. Howard Hendricks says, if you don't know what your gift is, and you're not using it to serve the body of Christ, you are crippling your spiritual life. Well, I would go further and say it's, it's crippling your local expression of the body of Christ. We need you. We need what you have to bring. We want to see you flourish and glorifying God by using the gift he's given you to edify the body. The fact that he's given you a gift means he's given you a responsibility. It's an area of life in which you need to work. God is calling you to work and reflect him who cares for his body better than anyone. Again, there are consequences for neglecting any of these responsibilities and having our life out of balance. Well, I'm not going to tell you how to manage all these spheres in your life. You have to figure that out. But I can tell you, as they, as they merge, it becomes easier. If you have a job, like me, that is in the church, then those two spheres have come together. Or if your vocation is raising your kids, then your family and your vocation are as one. Or maybe you have a job where you are a community developer and you're so active in community and that's your vocation and those things have come together. What if the church was so active in community together that those two spheres started to come as one? And see, the more that you can unify your life and simplify it, it, you can, it becomes easier and more gratifying. But some people just don't have that option. Their job is very different, but it is their calling and way to worship God and serve him. And it's just somehow very separate from family, from church, from community. And so you have to to manage these things and you have to figure that out. But what I do want to ask you today is, do you know what your gift is? What do other people think it is? Have you asked them? Uh, What are you good at? Where do you enjoy service? Do you have a willingness and you sense God's pleasure in that service? Um, Also, there are spiritual gift inventories. There are lots of them on the internet. You can just Google it and take several of these and see what they say. It may may shed some light. I don't know. Depends on who made the inventory, I guess. 
My next question, if you know your gift, are you using it? Are you exploring what it might be if you don't know? Are you engaging? Are you showing hospitality? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you participating with the kids' ministry or leading uh, worship? Are you involved in the ministries of word and deed where we fight for justice and mercy and faithfulness in community? Where this church or this local expression can show Jesus Christ. That's part of your vision. It's right there on your bulletin. You can read the vision that you would show Jesus Christ to the world around you. Well, that, that takes work. It takes some discipline and diligence. I want to, uh, I'm going to start moving this sermon to the good news. I, mean, I know it's, it's a heavy burden, right, to think about what God wants of us. Um, and let me do that by saying in Ephesians 2, which is why this is here, I want you to know that all of your working, all of your, your good deeds have nothing to do with your salvation. You cannot win God's merit. You cannot win his favor. You cannot win his approval. The very best things that you do are filthy rags compared to him who is glorified. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is a free gift of God. It's not by your righteousness, not by your doing. You cannot boast in it. But God has prepared in advance for you to do good deeds, to walk and work. That you would render your life to God in worship. And that's the way that you work hard. And that's the only thing that will carry you through the frustrations and the thorns and the thistles is if you give it up to God. And it's an act of worship. And you know that, that it, is, it is held by him as something treasured, even though it's flawed and broken. By the blood of Jesus Christ, he takes that and receives it.